Welcome to Inspire Church's podcast. We're excited you're listening. Our hope is to inspire you to grow in God's Word, to grow more in love with Christ, and to go be a light wherever you are. To find more teachings or donate to the ministry, visit us at inspirechurches.com. We are at the final installment of our uh, sermon series that we have called Timeless. And we called it Timeless because we have been going through They're not really hidden. I guess they'd say hidden in plain sight, but the hidden hymns or the hidden songs of Christmas. And and we've been going through a majority of them through the gospel of Luke. Luke writes the Christmas narrative or the what was called the birth narratives of Christ and kind of woven into the birth narratives are songs that are sung. And so uh, Mary herself sung a song when she found out that she was carrying Jesus. Um, and then next we had Zechariah singing a song when he found out that him and his wife who was barren would give birth to John the Baptist who would then prepare the way for Jesus. Uh, last week, Roger did an amazing job, job um, talking about the song that I think is the most well-known. It's the Gloria song. It's the song of the angels, the song that the hosts sang as the shepherds, as they revealed um, that Christ was born to the shepherds. And so um, we have our final song today, which is actually post-birth. And so we're kind of, um, we're kind of in a, re- a weird moment right now because in a couple of days we'll celebrate the birth, but today we're celebrating something or we're, we're looking at something that happened post-birth, but yet we, in reality, we all live in the post-birth. So, you, you know, we're in just that weird um, twilight zone right now. But uh, just to give you just a little context behind the story of the song that we're going to talk about today is this today's hidden hymn Um, The story of the hidden hymn actually has kind of remained pretty hidden in the Christmas story itself. In fact, we actually, we typically skip over this story when celebrating Christmas. Um, Today's story actually happens in between the visitation of the shepherds and the visitation of the magi or the wise men. Right, And so I know for most of you, um, you know this, but for some of you, I'm going to ruin your nativity. So go home and just kind of throw it away. No, I'm kidding. Don't do that. But uh, I don't want to spoil, just a spoiler, but the wise men and the shepherd didn't show up at the same time, okay? So some of you, I know, you know, you're, you're heartbroken about that. Some of you are ready to walk away from Jesus because I want you to know God is still good. He's still faithful. It's okay that what the culture told you is not true. In fact, a lot of what the culture tells us is not true. Um, but uh, but it is still beautiful. So don't, and then there's some of you going to go home and rebuke your nativity. Don't do that as well. Please keep it up. It's beautiful. I think the reason why the nativity includes the wise men and the shepherd together is to keep the continuity of the story because both happen in Bethlehem. This story actually happens in Jerusalem and it takes place in between the time of the shepherds visiting and the wise men coming. It's kind of right in this middle spot. And so that's the story of the song that we're gonna talk about today, amen? So if you have your Bibles, why don't you open up with me to Luke chapter one and I am gonna pray uh, and then we are going to jump right into this. uh, Luke chapter one. 21 through uh, Luke chapter 2, verse 28. So we're going to start in 121, and then we're going to read all the way through chapter 2 and finish um, somewhere closer, actually, to 28. In fact, we'll go a little further than that, but uh, I'll guide you as we go. So let's pray, and then let's jump into this story. Father, we love you so much. We celebrate this Christmas season And we recognize that this is a season of celebration and suffering. 
Uh, we step into Advent fully aware that although the commercialization of Christmas might cause us to think that this is a happy time, there are many who find themselves to be in a very low time. This is a dark time. And so um, although there are so many things out there that are trying to get us to feel joy, there are many of us that just can't. And so I, I just pray that um, that's what the Christmas story is about, that you come close to those who are suffering, that you, Jesus, our Messiah, our Savior, you've stepped out of your glory of heaven and you stepped into the mud of this earth and you were born the, the lowest of the low and you suffered and you died and, and you are with the lowly in spirit. And so I pray if there's anyone in this room who's not celebrating Christmas, who feels bad because they don't feel joy, I want them to know that Christmas is about Jesus coming to you. And so, Lord, I just pray that we would understand the reality of this as we enter into this week and we continue to reflect on your goodness and the beauty of your gospel. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Uh, Luke chapter 1, verse 21, and then we're going to kind of slide away all the way through Luke chapter 2. Um, but verse 21, verse 1, uh, chapter 1, verse 21 starts out like this. And at the end of eight days, now that's, Jesus is eight days old, so this is after the birth of Jesus. And at the end of eight days, when he was circumcised, he was called Jesus, the name given by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. And when the time came for, the purifi for their purification, according to the law of Moses, I want you to pay attention to that word, law of Moses. Um, they brought him up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every male who first opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord. And to offer a sacrifice according to what is said, here it is again, in the law of the Lord, a pair of two turtle doves. Y'all know where that came from, right? And a partridge in a pear tree. I waited for that the whole week. And y'all just didn't react exactly how I thought it was going to happen. But nonetheless, it just means you're really into this story. Um, she did not bring a partridge in a pear tree, but she did bring with her a pair of two turtle doves or two young pigeons. Now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, and this man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him, and it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came in the Spirit into the temple. Come on, just stop right there. He came into the, in the Spirit into the temple. I wish y'all would come to church like that, huh? In the Spirit. So we come in the flesh, don't we? Like, it takes so much time to get here. We're so upset. We just got in an argument, got the kids out. We, we, by the time we get here, we're fighting with our wives, right? There's a little distance between your seating. No? Okay, good. Not our church, but I know that happens. But this man, he came into church. He came into the temple already ready in the spirit. Um, this is not my sermon. Uh, and when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the, there it is, the law, he took upon him in his arms um, took him upon him in his arms and blessed God. Now we're going to pause there because this is the pregame. The, the, the song is coming, but we want to just kind of set up the setting of what's taking place prior to this song being sung by this man named Simeon. I want to make two observations uh, based off of a few things that we just read. And the first op op observation is this, and I kind of made you aware of it going ahead of time. Did you notice that the law of God is all over this passage? 
Like Luke mentions directly or indirectly the law of God all over the place. In fact, if you count it, there's like five to seven different places where he is, ascent, he is saying on purpose the law of God, the law of God, two turtle does, the law of God, her purification. It's all about the law of God. And I, and I want you guys to see this. Luke wants us to know that this six mile journey. So, so let me tell you the timing of this. Uh, Mary has had baby Jesus. Eight days have gone by and they circumcised him. And then 32 more days have gone by until it was day 40. And it was then time for them to travel to Jerusalem according to the law. So we're talking about 40 days after the birth of Jesus, this story is taking place. So Luke wants us to know that this six mile journey up to Jerusalem was not like a, 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 well, a baby moon is before, isn't it? Do you do anything after this? No, you're kind of stuck, right? So, they, so I can't say a baby moon. So Luke, this is not a vacation, like a family vacation. Like we got a new baby now. Let's go on a vacation. I don't think anyone does that now that I'm thinking about that. But this is not a vacation, but this is an act of obedience on the part of Mary and Joseph um, to the word of God. And what Mary is doing is according to the law, two things are required. She's a required to go through a purification. Now, mama's in the room. If you were to have a baby boy, you were required to wait 40 days, and then you were to head to the temple, and then you were required to sacrifice. And typically, you would sacrifice a lamb. But there was provision made in the law for those households that couldn't afford a lamb. And so if you couldn't afford a lamb and, and you were, did not have the financial means for a lamb, um, there was uh, provisions in the law for you to sacrifice some pigeons or turtle doves. And so what we're also seeing about the holy couple is that they were not a family of means. Can I, can I just pause right there and just say something? Um, the most important legacy and inheritance you can pass down to your children is not a house. It's not an inheritance um, of, of this amount of money. It's, it's faithfulness. And we see this from the father above. He sent his son not to a family of means, to a family who was obedient to his word. And so it's obedience to the law that we see Mary 40 days heading there for her purification. And here's why she's purification. Um, here's why she needs to be purified. She is not allowed to enter into the synagogue and worship until she is purified from the um, pregnancy, okay? Um, and so she sacrifices. And then something else happens. Um, baby Jesus is dedicated. He's dedicated to the Lord. And this is actually more of a complex story. And I didn't think I was going to go too deep into it. But um, I'm just going to share really quickly. This dates back all the way to the Exodus. Um, and this was a ceremony that was a, a bit of a remembrance ceremony, a, commemorance, uh, a commemoration of the Exodus when the children of Israel were enslaved uh, in Egypt. If you guys remember, let my people go. Uh, and stubborn Pharaoh did not want to let the Israelites go. They were held in captivity. It wasn't until God began to unleash these plagues as a form of judgment against Egypt for holding the children of Israel captive. And you remember the last plague? Anybody know that? Um, it, was, it was the death of every first born son. In fact, it was the death of every firstborn male. And do you remember how the people of Egypt lost their firstborn sons, but Israel was spared? You remember how they were spared? They were told to sacrifice a spotless lamb. 
And then they were to take the blood and paint it over the posts of the door so that when the angel of death were to visit the home, they would pass over the home of the Hebrew and they would ultimately act judgment against the Egyptian homes. And remember that was the final straw. Pharaoh kind of let them go. And so this was actually built into the law of Moses that the children of Israel as a, as a remembrance and a form of worship to the Lord that he had spared their children, that they would then take their firstborn son back to the temple temple and dedicate him back to it. They would give him back to God. And you know what that meant? That meant that the son would be dedicated to the temple for service in the temple. This was a form of worship. But do you also want to know something else that's really interesting? This wasn't just a form of worship, but this, is, was, this was God's way of kind of ingraining it in the minds of generation of Israelites what it costs to be redeemed. It costs, it costs the firstborn son. It, it, it was a reminder that a substitute is needed in order for redemption from captivity. And so this was ingrained in their heads over and over again. So here is Mary following the law. Here is Joseph following the law. Here is Jesus, a son in Mary of Joseph's house under the law. And they're bringing him to the temple for her purification and for his dedication. And go figure, in that moment, he's being dedicated and they're commemorating a substitute that will be put in their place to bring them out of captivity and redeem them. And Jesus is the embodiment of that for the world. Just so many things that are taking place and that are happening. It's so beautiful. Second observation. So you see the law of God is all over this story. The second observation is the Holy Spirit is all over this story. Amen? He's all over the passage. You see, in previous portions of Luke's Christmas story, what do you have? You have angels taking center stage. You have the angel Gabriel announcing to Mary. You have the angel Gabriel coming to Zechariah, right? You have the host of angels singing to the shepherds. But here you have the Holy Spirit who is doing the revealing to Simeon. So with those two observations, what is Luke trying to say to us? What is Luke trying to tell his readers? What's, what's the lesson that we can look to today? Well, I'm gonna kind of submit to you something real simple. God is in control, and he's in control of every detail. Are you with me? Um, think about it. His word... His word, the law of Moses, that's his word. His word was literally, literally guiding the Holy Family up to Jerusalem. And we also see what the Holy Spirit was literally leading Simeon to Jesus. And I've been kind of meditating on this. This has actually been sticking with me the most all week. Um, our God is not just the Lord over the monumental supernatural moments of history but he's also Lord over what seems to be the mundane, ordinary details of life. In fact, and this is something that Pastor Roger said last week that I was, it was so good. Uh, even in scripture, did you know the supernatural is rare? Even in the scriptures? It happens in the scriptures, but we're talking about thousands of years of, right, put together, and we see it so quickly, but it's actually the supernatural is even rare in the scriptures. I love what Pastor Roger said, right? Like, the shepherds get angels, and everybody else just gets shepherds, right? It's like, all of us, we want angelic hosts to preach the gospel. So it's like, well, okay, Jesus, we will repent and believe you if you send us this miraculous sign, right? How come the shepherds get this host of angels, and we just get a bunch of shepherds? right? You get a bunch of shepherds, a bunch of pastors, right? You get what I'm saying? Like you just get the shepherds, but I want you to know that um, the supernatural is, um, is rare even in scripture. While only a few get to see signs and wonders and miracles, 
Most of God's people, like you and I, learn to trust God and hold on to his promises in the ordinary, mundane, regular circumstances of life. This is one reason why, out of all the stories that Luke tells concerning the birth of Jesus, I think this story this year has impacted me the most. Um, There's just not a lot of supernatural things taking place. Uh, We're not seeing this kind of miraculous opening of the barren woman's womb in this place. We're not seeing the virgin birth. We're not seeing angelic visitations, signs, wonders, dreams, and miracles. We're just seeing a couple being faithful to the word and a man being led by the Holy Spirit. Um, can, I just, can I say something real quick? You know, we're not called to be sensational Christians. Some of you need to take some notes about this. We're called to be faithful Christians. And did you know that your faithfulness is built up in the mundane, everyday, regular routines of life? In fact, it takes more faith to believe and trust God in those moments than it does when something supernatural, miraculous happens. Because more often times than not, the supernatural and the miraculous doesn't happen. Uh, If you've been, um, depends, you might have been following this, you might have heard this. Again, this was something I wasn't sure if I was going to bring up. But uh, there's this hashtag that's been going around. There's this couple in a big church. Um, they're a worship, they're part of the worship ministry, and they're, unfortunately, I think, I don't know if she was two or three, but she suddenly passed away. She suddenly stopped breathing and died. This happened earlier this week, and so they were so devastated, the couple went to their pastor, and, um, and they asked the pastor, you know, we want to believe for resurrection. We're, we want to pray and believe for resurrection. And so the pastor and the leadership team actually obliged and said, we want to pray and believe with you. And and so what they ended up doing, they started to meet every day. And people started to gather, and they had worship services and prayer services. In fact, this couple was leading the worship service at times. And they actually told the morgue to pause. And um, they wanted to pray for this baby to be resurrected. And it just got, it just started to spread out a hashtag. Some of you might have said, I believe it, it was wake up baby olive. I believe that was the hashtag. There might have been a few different hashtags. And it just started to kind of get around within the, uh, that people were praying and coming together and believing for resurrection. And, and several days had went by. And, and finally, um, uh, uh, they had come to the conclusion that a resurrection wasn't going to take place. And, and, um, and they had resolved in their heart to kind of grieve and mourn and stop things. And, and uh, here's what I, I want to say to that. Um, for some of you that have been following, for some of you that's news to you or whatnot, um, here's what I want to say about that. I have no problems with a family, with a couple, with people believing for God to do the incredible, the miraculous, to heal, to do something that no one else can do because God certainly can do those things. Um, but I also want to pastor you and shepherd you and let you know that the normative way in which God speaks to his people is guided by the Holy Spirit through the word of God. And if you, and, he, and, and now I want to kind of depart from that. Uh, if you get caught up in cessationalism too much, if signs, wonders, and miracles becomes your theology, you will be let down more times than not. So I just want you to know that it is good to believe and to hope for God to do something, but it also is good to submit yourself to the leading of the spirit and the guiding of the word, which the word of God tells us that that's how God leads us. You don't need a prophetic word to lead you. If you, if you are walking around always looking for the super supernatural, the sensational to lead you, you are going to always be disappointed and you will always either walk away with your faith or you'll end up being angry and frustrated at God thinking that he was some genie in a bottle that didn't do what you asked him to do. That is not the God that we serve. And I do want to let you know, baby, Olive is with Jesus. 
And for those of you, maybe, I, and I know the parents are going to go through this, and I believe they're going to mourn, and, 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 and hopefully the word is comforting them. But we do want to know she's with Jesus. She's in a better place. And so we thank God for that. Amen? Now, in this story, we have Mary and Joseph. They're directed by, they weren't directed by angels, but by the obedience to the word. We have Simeon who doesn't get a vision or a visitation, but he gets a tug at his heart by the Holy Spirit that this is Jesus. And, and, and again, in this story, the thing that I want to emphasize most as we go on is the normative way by which God speaks to his people by saving them and sanctifying them. It's not by miracles or prophecies, but by the leading of the Holy Spirit through the word of God. We have everything we need, y'all. We have everything we need. We have everything we need, amen? Now, as we move into Simeon's song, um, I, I want to explain a key phrase that might sound a little foreign to us, but to the Jewish reader, when they read this, it actually would mean a lot to them, and it would be important for us to kind of understand that in order for us to understand the fullness of this song. And um, the key phrase was actually found in verse 25. Uh, let me read to you verse 25 and point out to you the key phrase. It says this, uh, now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, and this man was righteous and about, and here's the phrase, waiting for the consolation of Israel. Now, what is that? Um, I'm going to get a little technical with you guys, so stick with me, but I promise my vein will start popping out. I'll start sweating and preaching in a minute, um, uh, but, uh, but I definitely want to get a little technical, so do your best to stick with me. Um, the Greek word that's used for consolation here is uh, paraklesis, paraklesis. It's the same word where we get parakletos, which is John when he's referring to the Holy Spirit who would come alongside of us. And so what this Greek word actually is... Um, uh, uh, translated to in English is simply comfort, comfort. And so what we have Luke saying is, is we have Simeon who is waiting for Israel's comfort. He's waiting for Israel's comfort. And what we have Luke doing in verse 26 is saying Jesus is coming and Simeon is now seeing him. And so Luke is basically saying that the comfort of Israel is Jesus Christ. Jesus is the one who will bring comfort. He is the comforter of Israel. So if you were a Jewish reader and you were reading this phrase, Periclesus of Israel, you would immediately be reminded of the words of the prophet Isaiah. Now remember, you and I in here, uh, some, well, for most us, I think. Uh, we, we're, not, we're not steeped in the Jewish culture. We're not reading this through a Jewish lens. But when they saw consolation of Israel, comforter of Israel, they would immediately go back to their prophet Isaiah. And their prophet Isaiah, and I read it this morning to start off the service, if you were with us this morning when we started, their prophet Isaiah prophesied of a suffering servant that would come and redeem Israel from slavery. And so when they saw consolation or comfort of Israel, they thought about Isaiah. And so Luke is doing something really, really important for us in this moment. I want you to see this for yourself. Let's look at Isaiah chapter 52, verse 9, and we'll have it for you on the screen. This is Isaiah prophesying. He says, break forth together in singing. And we read this this morning. You waste place of Jerusalem for the Lord has comforted his people. He has redeemed Jerusalem. See that there? He has comforted his people. He's redeemed Jerusalem. 
So Luke is trying to kind of tie all of this together. The baby that is now in Simeon's arms is not only the Christ child that the Holy Spirit had promised him, but he is the comforter that the Holy Spirit, that Isaiah the prophet has promised Israel. He is the one that will redeem Israel out of captivity. And it's with that in mind that Simeon holds the baby boy in his arms and has another Simba moment. Right? Isn't that beautiful? Like Zachariah has a Simba moment, Simba moment with John the Baptist. Simeon gets a Simba moment with Jesus Christ himself. He grabs the baby. And I'm sure Mary said, hold on before you grab him. Let me get some wipes out. Let's wipe your hands. Okay. No, she didn't do that. But he grabs the baby and, and he begins to sing over him. And, and he says, I've been waiting for the consolation of Israel, the one that Isaiah has prophesied about, the one that the Holy Spirit has promised to me that I would see. I don't just get to see him, but I get to touch him. I get to hold him. I get to lift him up and sing over him. And this is the song that he sings. Verse 29 through 32, he says this, Lord... This is nunc dimittis is what it's called. It's Latin. Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace. Nunc dimittis means now I can go. <laughs> I can go in peace. He says, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation that you have prepared in the presence of all people. And he says these two phrases, a light, a revelation to the Gentiles. And for glory to your people, Israel. Let me say this. The Messiah, the Christ, he was Israel's glory. This baby boy would one day be the source of national pride. This baby boy would not only deliver Israel from the hands of powerful nations, but he would set up a kingdom in Israel for Israel that would never end. This baby boy was a descendant of David, was prophesied by Abraham and Moses and Isaiah. But that's not all. Simeon reveals something else. Not only would he be the glory of Israel, the pride of Israel, the pride and joy of his people, but this baby boy would also be a light of revelation to the rest of the world. You see, they said a light of revelation to the Gentiles. That's all of us. Now, I want to go back to Isaiah. I want to go back to Isaiah again because Luke is kind of showing us a picture of what Isaiah has said and what Simeon is now saying. And I want to go back to Isaiah. And again, we just read Isaiah 52, 9. I want to read verse 10. And it, it reads like this. The Lord has bared his holy arm and here it is, ready? Before the eyes of all the nations and all the ends of the earth shall see, shall see the salvation of our God. Again, Simeon in his song, by saying a light of revelation to the Gentiles, he's echoing the prophet Isaiah. If you were reading this story and you were a Jew, you would see that instantly. You would understand that. You would know that. What this boy will do for his people, he's saying. What this boy is going to do for Jerusalem. What this boy is going to do in Israel. What this boy will do for his people. It will be witnessed beyond his people. The world will take note of what this boy is going to do in this in in, in this insignificant nation, in this insignificant place, what this boy is going to do, everyone is going to see. And so in Isaiah 49, 7, they say that they will see his righteousness. The world will see his righteousness and his judgment. 
And further in verse 7, it also talks about how the, the world will, the, the nations will acknowledge his power and glory. In Isaiah 52.10, they will see what he has done for his people. In Isaiah 62.2, they will see the righteousness, the righteous glory of Israel. I love what Psalms chapter 98 verse 2 says, the Lord has made known his salvation. He has revealed his righteousness. Here it is, in the sight of the nations. I want you to see this. What this baby boy does for Israel will be proclaimed throughout the earth. The Gentile world that had been lost in darkness, that had rejected God, would now see a light. And this little light lit in little Israel would open the eyes of the nations and become a revelation of salvation unto the ends of the earth. In other words, the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ will have an exponential impact. This little boy born to this impoverished couple in this insignificant region will radically rock the world. Now you know why Simeon sings, I can die. (laughs) I've got it. I've done it. I can die. (laughs) And now I can die in peace. And again, this is something else I wanted to pull out real quick and just kind of chew on. Can we chew on this for a second? Now I can die. Wow. Uh, we wrestle with our mortality, don't we? Especially men. Right? We start getting mid-30s, 40s, 50s, 60s, right? And all of a sudden, we're not as strong as we used to be. We're not as agile as we used to be. Our back starts to ache a little bit more. <laughs> can no longer dunk the ball, right? You can no longer, right? It's every shot is an air ball. Um, right? I get on the basketball court, and I make a move, and it's really slower than I, I used to make it. That spin move used to get to the rack quickly. Now it's just like, you know, (laughs) right? Guys that are way less athletic than you think they have a chance. All these things start happening. That was for me. That's my insecurity. Um, (laughs) Right? It was just our mortality just starts to like creep in. Um, Simeon says, I'm ready to die now. Um, I think Simeon has revealed to us what I call the ultimate bucket list. I was tempted to Google. In fact, Roger had, temp- had showed me a couple of things. I was tempted to Google like top 10 things that people say I want to do before I die, right? Like what's on, what's on your bucket list? Like if I say, hey, look, what are the 10 things you want to do? You know, you want to see the pyramids in Egypt. You want to horseback ride in the white sands of who knows where, right? <laughs> we have all of these bucket list items, um, right? It, it, we want to travel the world, right? We want to jump out of perfectly, perfectly fine airplanes, right? <laughs> Just to scare ourselves really bad. <laughs> but um, I think Simeon has uh, so much to teach 21st century Christians. Um, Seatbelts, please. Um, <laughs> You know, Simeon was a man who had become completely satisfied in his salvation alone, in Jesus alone, in Christ alone. He was satisfied. He, he doesn't just say, he doesn't say, I, I want to die. He says, I'm at peace. Like, I'm, I'm satisfied in what I'm holding right now. Like, I have the Christ, the comforts, the consolation. Like, I'm so satisfied. I'm ready to die. 
And to be honest with you, I don't think any, a lot of us in this room as Christians could say that. Like we say it's Christ plus this. Like Jesus, don't let me die before I, now you know, I wanna have children, right? And these are all noble things. There's, you know me, I'm gonna go hard on some things and it doesn't mean they're wrong, but I just wanna let you know that idolatry creeps in. We wanna accomplish so many things. We put so many things ahead of the things of Christ. We have all these bucket lists that's on there. And, I, and this is a really a joke, but I was just making a joke just so you can see. I was like, you know, oh yeah, I wonder if we're gonna see on a bucket list like sanctification, you know? I want to be holier before I die. Yeah, none of that. Like you want to go places and see places and do things, experience things. Some of you in here, you want a home and you live in the Bay Area. You don't know how you're going to do that. It consumes you, your careers, your jobs. It just controls you. And you know what? It takes your what? Your peace, your comfort. You're not comfortable. But yet you still allow these things to be the master of your bucket list. The, your schedule is your master. Are, 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 you know, and, and I'm going through this too, guys, so again, I put myself in there, but I do want to, I want to I pastor you and disciple you, which means sometimes I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give you things that could chastise you or rebuke you, but like we pay so much attention to our body and what it looks like and when we take a picture and how people, you know what it's all tied to? It's self-worth, it's value. Do we look a certain way? Do we feel better and feel confident? Can I tell you something? That's all amazing. Like, please diet, continue to exercise, do amazing things. But here's the one thing I've learned about the word passion. Passion means what you're willing to suffer for. Passion means what you're willing to suffer for. And some of y'all had said no to the honey ham, right, in the last week and a half. And I, I know we have a lot of Latinos in here, so maybe it's gondola rice or maybe it's tamales, right? It could be just a cup, right? You've, you've said no to those. So Filipinos in the house, I know you all are in here. We're in Union City, right? Um, right? Bonset, you know, uh, chocolate meat. No, I'm kidding. So some of you know what that is. I just say no to that all the time. Um, lumpia, right? I mean, you, you have suffered this Christmas season. Amen. Like some of you guys are waking up and I see you because it's on your, it's on the gram. It's on the gram, baby. Like you guys are up bright and early. It's like 4 a.m. and you have just gone like 10 miles and you've, you've clean lift 500 pounds. And, and I mean, and some of you guys think he's talking about me. No, I promise it's on everyone's gram. Like don't think, well, that's what I, no, no, there's about, there are about 40 of you, right? And I am convicted. I am convicted. I am, and and can I say that there's nothing wrong with this, but here's what it exposes. Your self-image, your body is valuable to you. Your health is valuable to you for what it does for you. And as a result, because it's valuable, you're willing to do things that you wouldn't normally do, and you're willing to make sacrifices that you wouldn't normally make. In fact, you're making sacrifices nobody else would, right? Like, man, you're gonna eat that? Because I will, right? And some of you are not amening because you already know there's the punchline here. Um, but I'm going to try to not be legalistic about this. I'm going to try to be as pastoral as I possibly can about this. But um, we're not satisfied. Uh, we're not satisfied with the salvation that's been given to us. We, we haven't grasped the gospel and, and, and haven't attained the peace and, and the comfort that comes with that. And we haven't looked at it and stared at it and had been in awe of it. And as a result, we have Christ and, and he's a part of our lives. But we have a list of things that we need to accomplish in order to feel better about ourselves. And here's my issue. I have no problem with you doing those things. But when you are devoted, remember Simeon was what? He was righteous in what? devout. When you are more devoted to those things and not to your own growth and sanctification in Christ, as a pastor, 
I am called to just throw the question out there. What are you passionate about? What's on your bucket list? What's controlling you? What's consuming you? When's the last time you went into a time of devotion? When's the last time you woke up early to meet with Christ? When's the last time you stood out a little bit later to get in your word? And, and again, guys, I, I, this is not, I do not want to be a religious zealot with a whip ripping you guys because if you don't read the Bible, you're going to hell. That's not what I'm saying. I'm just simply saying, look at what's on your bucket list. Look at what's valuable to you. Look at what's passionate to you and begin to ask yourself, allow it. Here it is. Ready? Jesus will be a revelation of light. He'll be a revelation of light to the Gentiles. You know what light does? Light not only feels good and it feels warm, but it also exposes. Simeon was devoted. He was devoted to the scriptures. He was devoted to the temple. He was devoted to the people of God. He was devoted to being led by the Holy Spirit. As a result, he was what? Fully satisfied in Christ. We're devoted too. Um, but we're devoted to Netflix. We're devoted to Call of Duty. Amen. I have a connect team. We play Call of Duty. I put myself in there, y'all. I mean, I get it. Uh, we're, we're devoted to our careers. We're, we are consumed by purchasing a home in the Bay Area because we feel like that is going to make our family whole. Man, how lost we are. We're devoted to material gain, diets, exercises, vacations. And as a result, we wonder why we're not fully satisfied in Christ. Can I just throw a, a maybe a, a, just a, just a word of encourage, well, <laughs> not encourage, word of advice. Be careful that you are not sacrificing your life and growth in Christ at the altar of bucket lists, wish lists, goals. And as January comes around, I, I hope that the list would include, uh, 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 you don't have to exclude the diet, stay on it. Uh, but I hope that it would also include a passion for growth in Jesus Christ and a growth with his people. Amen? I want to take these last few moments um, to look at Simeon's kind of final words to Mary. Okay, so he sings this song. He says, he says now I can die. Like, I've seen Christ, and this is enough. Fully satisfied in this encounter with you. My salvation in this, this, this comforts me, the consolation of Israel. I sing this song, and, and, he, and he looks at this baby, and he says, this baby is not only going to be a source of national pride for his people, but the entire world is going to see what this baby does and will be forever changed. Then he gives the baby back to Mary. The song is ended, but he says something else. And I want to finish this morning with this. And I'm calling it the juxtaposition of Christmas, okay? Look that word up. I barely know what it is as well. Um, after Simeon finishes singing about Israel's comfort, he then turns to Mary and he reminds her that she'll be in much pain. Wow. You see that as a juxtaposition? Wait, wait, is it going to be comfortable or uncomfortable? Like, is Jesus' arrival going to bring me more joy or more pain? Like, th these seem like two items that are actually opposing one another. But he says, this is the comfort of Israel. This is the light of salvation to the Gentiles, the glory of Israel. And he gives the baby back and he looks at Mary and says, and he'll be the source of much pain. Messiah that we're all celebrating, this salvation that we've all been waiting for will come at a very high cost. Because of this boy, he says, many will fall, many will oppose, 
And he says, Mary, you're going to get a sword right through your soul. <laughs> what? That's not typically like the Christmas card, right, that you usually get, right? I mean, you know, it's like, Merry Christmas unto us, a child is born, right? Like, joy to the Lord, all these. Imagine if I say, oh, we got a card from Pastor Phil, it's the Pajamila, and you open it up, and it's like a sword is going through your soul. Many are going to fall, and we'll be opposed. <laughs> um, but I, I think that's what happens when the church doesn't get a steady diet of what the Messiah really means. Because if you walk out of here thinking that the securing of the Christ, the coming of the Christ, the salvation of your life is not going to cause you any pain or not cause you any discomfort, then you are not walking in Christianity. You're walking in something that somebody sold to you to try to get you to say you want Jesus. All you did was we have pastors and preachers that are trying to market the gospel by, by saying, hey, look at all these good features. And then when the good features don't start happening, we walk away. But that's not how faithfulness, the faithfulness in the mundane routine, or how about the faithfulness even when everything is not going the way you want it to go? Again, not the verse typically on Christmas cards. <laughs> I'm gonna take a moment just to break these down and then we're gonna finish together. But number one, uh, he says, because of this salvation, uh, because of this child, uh, many in Israel will fall. Some, he said many will rise, but many will fall. In other words, because of this, he's saying, because of this boy, Kings will fail. Empires and dynasties will fall. New world orders will collapse. He says many hearts will be opposed to this king. So this boy isn't going to be met with all the fanfare that you think he's going to be met with. In fact, it's going to be just the opposite. He's going to be despised. He's going to be abandoned. He's going to be rejected. Even his own will deny him. Many will be opposed because this boy will expose hypocrisy in the church because this boy will expose the true heart and the true hypocrite because hypocrites will be revealed how about this because the frauds will be exposed because of the words of this boy you see people love the light when it brings them consolation we love the light when it brings us comfort. We love the light when it, the sun rises in the morning and it, and it kind of chases away the chill and the warmth comes upon you. We love the light. People love the light when it chases away the darkness, but we hate the light when it reveals our sin. We hate the light when it reveals our hypocrisy. We hate the light when it holds us accountable. We hate the light when it calls us to humbly repent and acknowledge that we are not in control. And this isn't the world. This is us in the church. It's evident. We all love when someone comes up and encourages us. But God, someone comes to rebuke you and it's just so hard. We hate the light when it exposes. He says, many in Israel will fall. Many hearts will be opposed. But here's the thing is if we're going to love the warm light of salvation, we're also going to have to endure the hot light of exposure. This is why as beautiful as lights are, many will hate the light when it reveals what's been hidden in darkness. Finally, Simeon turns to Mary and tells her a terrible thing. He says, because of this boy, the soul is going to go right through your sword. You're going to feel an unbearable pain, mama. <laughs> really, Simeon? <laughs> like, we just, can we just celebrate the birth of this baby? 
says a sword's gonna go through your soul Mary this baby this baby that you felt kicking in your womb this baby that you carried this baby that you changed and nursed and and taught would one day suffer and you would have to sit there and watch him knowing that there's nothing you can do about it he would suffer on a cross and he would die for the sins of this world this baby boy because of him you're gonna feel a piercing in your soul a pain like you've never felt before just because Jesus was divine doesn't mean that Mary, who was human, who carried him, didn't feel every torment, every pain of watching her son. But I love this. I love this. And this is so important. When that day finally came, right, when that baby boy grew up to be a man and she saw him suffer and she was at the foot of the cross bleeding and, and tortured, no doubt she thought back. She thought back to the words of that devout, righteous man who said, this is the comforter of Israel. This is the one who will suffer. This is the one who will come to bring consolation and peace. This is the one that now that I am holding, I could die. But this is also the one that one day is gonna be a sword pierced through your soul. And I can imagine Mama Mary still dealing with all of her pain in that moment finding comfort in knowing that my son's death, my son's rejection, my son's abandonment is for the peace, the comfort, deliverance, not just of Israel, but of the entire world. And so in the midst of that, and that's what salvation is, right? In the midst of the battle, in the midst of the pain, in the midst of some of the suffering, holding on to the, to the promise of salvation and knowing that even how bad it looks, the gospel declares that there's victory and there's peace there's triumph and there's victory. And in that moment, in the midst of overwhelming pain, Mary would realize that God was in control of every little detail <laughs> from the very beginning. Every little detail God was in control of. That he led her to that day, led her before an old man who would grab the baby and sing over him and then say some words to me that God was in control. And that through the words of this old man, he warned her that her firstborn son would suffer for Israel's redemption. And that this was for the redemptive plan of God. This was all part of his redemptive plan. And so as we uh, take some time this week to, to think about Christmas, I think it's important for us to soberly think about what it really means some of us, we've just been told cartoon Christmas stories or maybe the stories that they've allowed us to hear. But really what this series has done is kind of expose the details of Christmas and help us to enter into this time um, and to be able to rest in the consolation and the peace of Jesus Christ. Um, but also knowing that as a follower of Jesus Christ, if he suffered, guess what? We'll suffer too. Amen? Amen? But God is faithful. God is in control of every single detail. And he's working it out for, not for your glory, but for his. But he's asked you to be a part of his story. Amen? Yeah. This is Christmas. This is Christmas. Let's pray. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you for joining us for this week's Inspired Churches podcast. Don't forget to share or subscribe to join us every Sunday. 
You can keep up with Inspire Churches through Instagram at Inspire Churches or on Facebook at facebook.com slash inspirechurches. To support the ministry, you can click on the link in the description or visit us at inspirechurches.com for more information.